Please, God, Diarrhea have another question. Fingers. Please, God, oh, have Jeff. another question. <laughs> I would have made, I, I wouldn't have made that a sandwich. Oh, I mean, not a thank I, God. I, I, Ralph, yeah, I'm shit down to do that. Miss Will you. Elmer. Oh, <laughs> boing. <laughs> Will Elmer wants to know how much stock do you put in the Eisner Awards? Do you get Zero. excited for books that you like to get nominated, like Breaking Glass? Are you disappointed by snubs? Or do you not care much one way or the other? I think that the Eisners are like, you know, like the Grammys or the Academy Awards, which is to say, like, hugely politically motivated or motivated by appearance within the industry and i still think there's a lot of respect and prestige that goes along with the the reward but like i don't ever feel snubbed because like they just aren't gonna put a marvel or a dc comic in there generally yeah i i i don't think that the eisner awards gives awards to bad, bad comics i think that it's a good it's a good place for somebody who's new to comics to start uh if a creator that i really like or a book that I really like gets awards, then I'm happy for it because that's going to give it a higher profile, like Breaking Glass, which is nominated this year. Roman, if they were yeah. to change the Eisners to the Statlers, how would you answer this question? <laughs> um, well, I'd want final say on all the uh, winners. <laughs> good, good. And, and then they'll, they'll become much more meaningful. acceptable podcast where we talk about comics after we get them from ups and we read them and we own and run and work at a comic store and uh, episode 186 186 <laughs> wow um wow the next episode's gonna be like proposition 187 think about how scared everybody just was for a second they're like is control freak jeff not here like, <laughs> they're just they're just running into an intro here it doesn't sound like that super control freaky guy that doesn't let anybody else drive isn't in the car Where's that guy who says who says it right? <laughs> uh, where Dad, I, you're I, reading it wrong. Every week we engage in a variety of tangents, either related to or unrelated to the comic shop that we know, love, own, run, uh, the books that came out, or the comings and goings of our lives. I'm Jeff, and I'm the control freak. I'm Django, and I'm an agent of chaos. Charles. Charles. I'm I'm Roman, and I'm 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 like I'm like the nice guy agent in between those two. <laughs> the nice guy agent agent okay. oh like an like an agent pair i think it's yeah oh like an aged yeah, yeah. pair like yeah, a bruised yeah. slightly soft pair yeah yeah getting a little too soft and mushy it's comic books everyone we're a podcast about comic books and the new comics that came out each week and you know what we're gonna spoil them ding dang it and and before we get into that, Django, I'm going to take your job, you peppy little butthole. Oh. Um, this week, Ouch. we're going to be talking about Giant Size X-Men Magneto number one. Giant Part Size X-Men Magneto number one. Dark. Giant okay. Size X-Men Magneto okay. number one. Okay, yes. I got that one right here. Cool. I will just be able to edit all of these horrible echoes out. It will just mean <laughs> that we are here longer right now. Dark Knight's Death Metal 2. Avengers Fantastic Four Empire, number one. Strange Adventures, number three. Savage Dragon, number 250. 
don't say it's not smut. And <laughs> Snake Eyes Dead Game, number one. G.I. Joe, Snake Eyes. And a couple other popcorn bits here and there. Talk about a couple things. We're going to talk about the free comic book day X-Men issue uh, when we talk about the X-Men book. Well, you know, it's a couple other things. We might even have a little uh, Buckshot Fritter Festival. <laughs> and we've never done that over Zoom, so it'll be really interesting to see it happen before <laughs> we get into all of that. I had something I wanted to talk to you boys about. Rorschach, number one. It was announced this week, Tom King, Jorge Fornes Rorschach takes place 35 years after the events of Watchmen and focuses more on society's interaction with the idea of Rorschach and the shadow of Rorschach and the role of that character. He says something to the effect of like, we just need to do something positive with this anger. So this is my Mm -hmm. attempt at doing that. I love that idea. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see where it's set because we have so many different sequels and prequels to Watchmen at this point. I don't know if Watchmen has or needs or deserves canon. Um, and, and, and I hope that this is inspired by and a potential future of the Watchmen universe, because I love the idea that whatever Tom King does can sit right with the TV show and with the prequels comics that they put out. Frankly, I'm less excited about the fact that it's a Rorschach book and way more excited about the fact that it's just a Tom King, uh, Jorge Fornes book with Dave Stewart angry and feelings. Like even the letterer is a letterer that you know. Nice. It's Yeah, it's, it's a wild yeah. combo. Yeah, I got me, got me really randy. That's, that's got to be one of the more exciting book announcements that's happened in a while for me. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited about it. And I, and I like that idea that it's after the TV show. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the legacy of Rorschach is. Yeah, I'm yeah. pumped about it. And more Jorge Fornes art. That's, that's the, the news I wanted to keep everybody abreast of. Thank you for divulging, er, indulging me, rather. But we got to talk about Giant Size X-Men Magneto because for the first time since the last time, which was pre-quarantine, pre-Diamond shutting down, we've gotten a Hickman-written X-Men issue. It's been (laughs) a really long time. And Hickman has been, you know, very open about the fact that all these giant-sized X-Men books are done in the Marvel method. So he and the, the artist come up with a plot, and then the artist goes and illustrates it, and then Hickman writes the script around the art that's been returned. So... It's as close to a singularly Hickman written book that we've gotten in a really long time. So this book has a scene in it that illustrated really well to me what you mean when you say that Hickman has a really good voice for Dr. Doom. And that's not to say that Dr. Doom is in here, but um, I've never quite, I've never quite found the right voice in my head for characters with Jonathan Hickman. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this one, the chef has a very distinct voice and I could see Hickman kind of winking while he wrote it and, and just the pretentiousness of the chef was very apparent. So he finally found a blunt enough instrument to hit me over the head with. Did, uh, did you like it? I liked it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and just because I guess when I read a lot of comics, I use the same voice in my head for everybody. And that guy had a different voice. For sure. Hey, Roman, how did you feel about the art in this? Are you a Ramon Perez fan? I am now. 
Um, I can't, I don't, I don't know what else he's done. Um, but I, I really love the art, <clears throat> excuse me, the art of the uh, Faroe Islands here. Um, that opening shot where Magneto's standing on that cliff edge is gorgeous. Um, and the undersea stuff, that was pretty cool. Yeah. I like the Kraken quite a bit. I mean, yeah. so the... the oh, the, and, and Emma's, uh, whatever they call Emma's um, home here. On her Krakow. citadel. Yeah. That yeah, so the the what happens in this issue is ultimately Magneto goes to an island because through a conversation with Emma Frost, she asks for a favor and she asks him to procure an island. Strikes up a deal with the person who's on the island who's going to contact the owner about trying to get the island from him. And he makes Magneto wait in sort of a power play. And ultimately the owner shows up and it is Namor, which is awesome. And he has to go on an underwater adventure with Namor to rescue some people to sort of gain the favor of Namor in order to get Namor to give him the rights to the island to give him to Emma and when that happens the coolest fucking scene of Magneto unloading a whole bunch of shipping cargo freighters from a a boat and they bust open and it's like all of the things needed to build this awesome base on an island and I you know these one shots I haven't made a lot of sense as to how they're going to play into the larger story and the time frames of which they're gonna, but uh, it, it was, it was, it was real good. Um, I'm sure that someone as knowledgeable in Magneto lore as Roman can tell me what iron is in a bottle of champagne that allows Magneto to levitate it. I thought that too. Um, it may it may just be iron in the bottle, or one of those really fancy logos that has like the aluminum in it, or like it's no, a that's aluminum. That's, Aluminum's that's, not fucking magnetic, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> no. it is. is it not? No. It's a metal alloy. Thank aluminum. You. Uh, have you ever isn't have it? you ever tried to put a magnet on aluminum foil? No, I mean now that you're saying it, it does. I don't think it would work. <laughs> Stainless steel don't work. Maybe Magneto they can't some... even lift up a refrigerator with his mind. <laughs> what sort of what sort of statement are you making about refrigerators? You're but trying to say stainless steel, not aluminum, and stainless steel is not magnetic. It's not. No, he can just control metal. He doesn't have to use magnets. It's that he gets to control metal. Then why isn't his name Metallo? Because it was already taken. <laughs> yeah, that's a <laughs> Superman villain. I just, I just thought that that was. Uh... It has to be addressed in canon at some point. <laughs> what has to be addressed in canon is that it's always a kraken. It's always a goddamn it's always kraken. kraken. It's always a kraken. <laughs> it's always the kraken. But the art is pretty gorgeous in the fight scenes of the kraken. Yeah. And the art is gorgeous when Magneto's just wandering around the edge of the island watching the sunset and hanging out with the puffins. It's beautiful. Is this the same island that the Porgs live on? It seemed like, oh, fuck off. Very, very, mu- very much so, yeah. Because like that was that was the reason that they made the porgs was because that island was infested with puffins and they needed to yeah. digitally cover yeah, them up. These, yeah, these puffins live puffins. all over those type of islands. I mean, that's an Irish island, but they're all, you know, for habitat are the same. Huh. Um, what, what surprised me is because I looked it up after I read the issue, the island he buys, that's an actual island in the Faroe Islands. <laughs> and... So, so he bought into a real island. And he says, like, at the end, it's like, yeah, apparently he won it off of some soldiers in a bet in World War II or something. Like, I love the, the reference yeah. to how he, apparently he was never that fond of it or something is, is the quote. 
Yeah, he just got it from some Dutch soldiers. I liked it because it had the feeling that it is consequential while maybe not being like while maybe being inconsequential. And that is what I love about all of this dumb Hickman stuff. I don't really know how to describe it, but it's just these X-Men books feel like they hold a potential that most other books don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it just for the story. But I was wondering at the end of it, well, how is this? And it is, seems like it's going to be more consequential than, say, that giant size Nightcrawler right. issue. Because I was like, why do they want this island? And then I realized, and then I looked at a map, Avengers Mountain is like in a direct line, kind of north, northwest from this island. So, cite your up, source up in the North Pole. Because okay. Avengers Mountain is the giant celestial that they're living in? Yeah, the giant celestial they're living in. So I'm wondering, okay, is Hickman setting up so there's going to be some kind of conflict eventually between the two of them? Or are they just setting this up here on the Faroe Island here so they can like monitor the Avengers? Or what's, what's going to well be the, the people who live inside of a sentinel versus the people who live inside <laughs> of a celestial? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so it's a new reality show. There's these super home wars things. SVC. I loved it. And I thought the art was really gorgeous too. Uh, not quite as much as the Emma Frost, Jean Grey, Giant Size, the first one, but I like this more than the Nightcrawler one. And I think great Magneto character work is done there. I think to be, I think as many opportunities as we can get for Hickman to be doing his voice for characters like Magneto or Sinister would be great in my mind because they're characters that have had voices that have maybe fallen flat by different writers. And I think his ability to, to sort of write morally ambiguous characters with intentionality that's like into like a scalpel um it, it's very impressive to me so more of it yes yeah definitely and and this was like the first story we've seen in i don't know years where maybe it was actually smiling and looking like a person <laughs> yeah so what do you give it score wise jang Django? i give it a seven yeah i thought it was i thought it was uh an entertaining read i didn't think that it was necessary and i'm not the the head over heels hickman guy that that you guys are um men that we are a lot of this uh at some point will be probably covered in the x-men book when you know somebody says oh yeah it's that island magneto bought for emma frost we'll we'll talk a little bit more this week i think about something else that feels like this to me in in the big crossover way Wow, I can't wait to hear what that is. And I don't know what it is at this point, but I give it an 8.5, Jeff's benchmark for a very good comic. Yep, I'll give it, yeah, I'll give it an 8.5. So let's talk a little bit about this free comic book day, X-Men comic. I don't and like that at all. Say it right. <laughs> free comic big day, X-Men comic. <laughs> and the second half of it is an Avengers story that I didn't read, but I looked through it and Django spoiled it for me. And I got really excited about it but then I didn't feel like I needed to read it. Uh, this, it's, it's very cool, but let's talk about the X-Men portion. It is written by Jonathan Hickman and Teeny Howard with art by Pepe Larraz, who did some of the House of X, Dawn of X stuff. Well, half of it. And it seems to follow some pretty crazy alien looking things that have, well, the giant bull has Viking symbols, right, Roman? Isn't that a Nordic that? symbol on his chest? Yeah, that's that's like a third of, yeah, one of the Nordic symbols. Yeah, he's got some runes on him. Which is interesting because uh, it, we know that, I, well, I, I thought that these were maybe the Horsemen of the Apocalypse. I was able to be excited about some stuff in this and found 
some of it to be the stuff I didn't love. It went, the first couple of pages are really cool, but then it goes right into a thing about Otherworld. And that's been the mm-hmm. teeny Howard Excalibur stuff that I haven't cared for as much. Yeah, I had a real hard time with the tarot cards themselves um, being titled as tarot cards, but then depicting absolutely not tarot cards, which um, I don't even really subscribe to tarot readings or anything, but it bothers me when mythology is used incompletely, I guess. But don't you think that it could be like like every tarot deck has different pictures to metaphorically represent the image that is there. So couldn't you say that metaphorically these scenes are all depicting the thing that they say that they're depicting? They might be, but like the hanged man, I think that it always has a dude hanging upside down in a specific position, even if there's other things going on in the, in the, on the card. And this one is just a a pretty rote, group of x-men walking through gates like i don't know and 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 i could be totally wrong i could just be not not digging deep enough for it oh no you're you're right yeah the hangman he's always upside down with one leg bent behind the other and but yeah i think the i I, yeah i was a little confused by that because i was like okay so why are they using i didn't quite understand why they're using the device of the tarot cards remember in powers of 10 there were tarot cards of I believe they were tarot cards of like the way that they originally that red nightcrawler was introduced. It was him on a tarot card and there was another character introduced on a tarot card. I think it was in powers of 10 powers of X number one. Yeah. And I guess I keep forgetting that they had Saturnine as the one laying these out and, and kind of trying to read the future. So now I read that makes sense for her that she would be doing that since she's kind of a mystical witch, other reality character. Django, we knew that, right? I am so lost in the X-Men right now. It's not even funny. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, yeah, idea. and I, I haven't been reading Excalibur because I don't really care for Jeannie Howard's writing. But Saturnine, and she was in the original Excalibur, and she was actually originally in Alan Moore's run on Captain Britain over in <laughs> England, where he introduced her in Otherworld and all this stuff. I don't think that this teaser worked really, really well to get me excited for this event, but I do think that the people that are reading X-Men are going to be reading this event, and I don't think the people who aren't reading X-Men are going to read it. So it it almost feels like I'm this worked for me to like, I'm like, hell yeah, I'm, I'll read the shit out of that when that gets here. I am like, it is a crossover in the true sense of the word. It's It's like 10 issues long, I think, and it's, you know, each issue is in a different series. I'm excited for that because I remember when X-Men Second Coming was coming out and that's when I was getting back into comics as an adult and every issue of that is in a different series. And it is fun to track all that stuff down and kind of dip into all these different worlds and be a part of something larger than the thing that you were engaging in. But again, the the fact that it's, I know that the Excalibur and Teeny Howard writing portion of it, she she's a big part of it. And uh, I haven't read something from her yet that I love, but I could... I, this might be the one, but I would be more would, excited would if it was say, just Hickman. Would you say crossover or would you say X over? Oh, that's very good. That's a good, or a 10 over. A 10 over. I liked the Avengers teaser for Dark Ages, which is the, the second half of this free comic book day book. Did you read like that, that, Roman? I did. Oh, yeah. Okay. I liked it more than I liked the X-Men one. Um, it felt a little bit less inside baseball and just like a good precursor to a big event. Um, plus there's some violent stuff that happens to Tony Stark that I really enjoyed. Um, I liked yeah. it more than the X-Men one and I didn't even read it. It gave us yeah. big stakes. Yeah, I liked it more too. It surprised me about Tony and what happened there. 
also a nice little touch. I like the fact that Tony through his armor is talking to Cap on like what basically just looks like a smartphone, a Stark smartphone. <laughs> and I just kind of yeah. like that touch. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say for this whole issue, I'd give it an eight. Most it's of that meaning on the Dark Ages. Tease. Worth the zero dollars that it costs. Yeah. And, and also, if anybody who's listening didn't get one, uh, next time you place an order for delivery through the shop, uh, just put in your comments that you want it, and we'll, we should still have some. Boys. Death metal! Death metal number two. Here we are, a couple years in, on this whole metal train, you know? Uh, as we started that, I remember when we used to yell, Metal! Metal! I don't have the enthusiasm for the series to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, Glapion, and Placenza. It's a good group of names. There's good name there. Glapion um, and Placenza? Wow. I really like the opening scene where the Adam, the, the bat Adam just gets squished. There's, yeah. Then, we uh, could talk about the little bits in it. Let, so what is this issue? What is this series? Like this is following up. This is, it is to me, it like embodies most clearly that thing that Django doesn't like of like, I don't know the stakes of this. Like I, I, I can't have stakes for this at all because we don't exist anywhere that makes sense at any time that makes sense and i don't know that any of these characters are actual analogs for the characters that i know mm -hmm. and you know that being said uh i was really down on it at the beginning and then you know as i just started like by two-thirds of the way through it i was like i'll keep reading it i'll keep you just it. gotta kind of surrender to the lunacy and i think that the first series was a lot like that too um i i kind of wonder like I felt like that with the first issue also, where I was like reading it and I was like, this is stupid. And then partway through, I was like, all right, fine. This is awesome. I, I guess it's awesome. I don't think it's awesome, but I didn't hate it. And I'm happy to keep reading it, I think. But I do think that every time I sit down with it, I'm going to be like, Ugh. and then I'm going to get several pages in and then find a groove for it. It's just yeah. interesting that this is the guy who wrote American Vampire and The Black Mirror and his swamp thing run and like this is what you want to do like this you know i i like him there's some of like his the early half of his career is work that i do really like a lot the second half has been this sort of like you know very fun i think that he's just like really broed out with greg capullo and like greg capullo is such like a chopper weightlifting bro metalhead I think that like it, it, you know, they became really good friends and that seems to be a big current of the work that they do together. Well, and I don't think that DC says no to Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo at this point. And it's, I, I don't remember when we were talking about this, but it's some, on, on one of our many media platforms recently, we were talking about how a framework in, can enhance somebody's creative process. Mm -hmm. And I think that DC just kind of threw the keys to the Ferrari to these guys and said do whatever you want we don't care and i i think that they probably work better with some rules i would i would think so roman what do you think about this metal stuff i didn't even read the second oh. issue because i read the first one and and i kind of went back to the very beginning of the first series where i was like yeah i don't know this is kind of cool but you know, I'm reading that Wonder Woman Black Label alternate future book and, and all these other 
big event books. And I was kind of like, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if I can cram this one in my brain too. I think the first one leaned a little bit too much on trying to use like metal music and like frequencies and power chords and like the guitar of the na 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 bat like all of that stuff was like written into it and I that felt a little I think that that got kind of cutesy and this one is a little less cutesy in that regard but it it is also still pretty like cutesy but man in this one they there is you know, because every dark world that can exist does exist. So in one of them, you know, Bruce becomes Dr. Manhattan. Dr. Batman Hatton. Dr. Batman Hatton. It's, it's like Brian Azzarello level pun. Yeah. And, and there's so many bad ones like that. Or like the bit about the dad joke that happens in here. Mm -hmm. You just made a dad joke and it wasn't funny. Uh, but they, they take the Batman who laughs brain because he died in the first issue and puts it in the body of the Bat, Dr. Batman Hatton and then Dr. Batman Hatton becomes the Batman who laughs and it's just like I don't know it's fun it's if you fun. can put your brain in neutral hard enough I think that it's a lot of fun um, but I, I was hoping for something different or something more and I guess that's not really the story's fault um, no but it, is, it's, it's, it's a leaning too... in stupidity like the final no. page is this ro giant robot made by the Tinkerer that is one-third Batman, one-third Superman, one-third Wonder Woman. And, like, it's... Shut up. It's kind of fun, and you're just like, yeah, you're going all out on it and just really embracing the lunacy of it. But it doesn't do it in a way that seems like there's no, like, self-seriousness in it at all, which maybe is a good thing but like i feel like when morrison does it or something it's it's kind of done in terms of like i believe that this kind of imaginative ridiculousness of comics is the best thing and this seems a little bit more like look at how cheesy we can be i don't know that's even more disparaging than i want to be i it's at some point it is fun to be reading it i'm just not excited about it if I was in a slightly different mood, I would be shouting about how much I liked a lot of the fan service because having um, having the whole thing kind of started with Sergeant Rock and having Jonah Hex all over it and all these old characters, there's Dove, there's Sandman, there's Johnny Quick, like in, in their grave or in their tombs. Um, and and just like Batman using a little stamp to stamp the tombs of people that he wants to exhume using magic or whatever, that's that's cool. I like Doctor Manhattan. I don't know. There's there's a lot to like here, and there's a lot to dislike, and uh, it leaves me kind of cold. I would give it a six and a half, I think. And I will definitely read number three. Middle. I will give it a six and a half also. And I, yeah, I, I do want to reaffirm, like, I think I focused on the negative with that because it kind of confuses me, but it, it doesn't pull any punches for exploring aspects of the DC continuity and universe. And I like that. I like mm -hmm. pushing the reality of a comic universe in ways it hasn't gone before or gone in a long time. I think it's what Downey Cates does well. I think it's what Hickman and Morrison do well. And this isn't my flavor of it, but it is the type of thing that I, I would like. So no shade on anyone for not loving it or for, for loving it. And, you know, no judgment, no judgment, no judgment, except for Avengers Fantastic Four Empire. <laughs> Al Ewing. Al Dan and Dan Slott. Valerio Shitty. Marty Garcia. Marty Gar Gracia. Gracia, yeah. Gracia. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Django is... 
It's a little toxic. We <laughs> can't. We can't be negative. We can't be negative. I don't want to be negative. So Roman, did oh, you like you? this? Did you like this book, Roman? <laughs> this this is way closer to a book that I think that would Roman would dig than for a book that Jeff would dig. Um, I did. I liked. I how many? It, there's been a zero issue of Empire. There has been a zero issue of Empire. Which no, pretty- there was the a zero issue of Avengers Empire. Mm-hmm. Ah, and then okay. I think there was either, I think that the zero issue of Fantastic Four Empire came out. Yeah. I think. Okay, which, which is set kind of concurrent with this. And yeah, I think yeah, we well, all like the Avengers number zero. Yeah, that was pretty, that was good. And, and I like this one. This was, this was good. I wasn't a huge fan of the art, but I like the story. Um, the action that happens, uh, it, it, you know, I like read a lot in it. The only thing I didn't really like was they get to a point where, you know, Iron Man fucks up again. And I'm getting a little tired of Iron Man fucks up every time in these big events. And it's <laughs> I think it's, he's kind of a hard character to write and do new things with. I think, I, I, I don't know. Kill him. It's just, just when kill you, him. Take him off the board. Yeah, when you're but they've kind done of, that before too. <laughs> yeah, when you're kind of rooted in technology, I think it takes a special type of brain to push the conversation of advanced technology in a way that it hasn't gone before. And at some point, you can only push it so far before you have to return back to something that is fundamentally interesting about the character. But yeah, I, I agree. Like it's Iron Man fucks up again. Yeah, and it kind of surprised me because Dan Slott's writing Iron Man too, so I was I was hoping that he wouldn't just use the usual cliche of oh Iron Man is too too quick to jump into things without thinking first and everything. Cause he doesn't do that in Dan Slott's writing on Iron Man, but he does that here. I want to talk for a second about the art because I really had a hard time with the art and I don't know how to describe it outside of like, you know, when you're on acid and everything is just, it's too much information all at once. And you're just kind of like, look, it's hard to like make, visual sense of what's going on because there's kind of all like the stimuli all has an in a, a heightened loudness to it man man do i know it geez okay that's what this is like <laughs> too many trips in my past <laughs> it's just like it is hard to make every image in this is so loud and so prismatic and neon and smooth <laughs> and glossy and it's like it's like that thing that people talk about in J.J. Abrams where there's a bunch of solar flares, but I, that doesn't bother me at all, lens flares. There's like a lot of lens flares in this comic. Like it's just, and lots of like yeah. crazy perspective shots of ships. And it just like, this also is a thing that like, I, I was thinking of Django because it's really hard for me to be grounded in this story. I couldn't really have stakes because I didn't ever know where I was or just feel like, I, I don't know if that makes sense at all. Yeah, and, and I think that a lot of that visual clutter comes from using the same line weight for everything. So, like, everything in the background has the same thick outline as the things in the foreground on most of these panels. Yeah, you're right. That's a really good point. Everything it's, has the everything same Everything is weight. in focus. And everything, because it's all got the same line weight, we don't have any visual clues as to what to let fade into the background and what what is scenery and the colors don't help because they're everything is colored super vibrantly also that's really astute i think that is is a huge portion of the problem and i've never noticed that because we really liked valerio shitty in um old man hawkeye right didn't didn't he draw that no that was chiquetto 
what am I thinking of? What did Shitty did something that we liked? Yeah, or we said that the art was in fact shitty. Um, I can't remember. Anyway, I unsurprisingly didn't really love this cosmic story, um, full of politics from characters I don't know and power sets that I don't relate to. But by the end of it, there were some really interesting things. I really enjoyed Hulkling stopping Thor's hammer with his sword. Mm -hmm. That shot was super cool. Um, even though it was kind of a ruse. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense, but well, but, but it was, it was supposed to happen. The physics of it really had, I had a hard time with. Well, Thor told his hammer to do that. He told it to stop. He told it to stop so that Iron Man could activate oh, the thing. Oh, right. I thought okay. he stopped it. So, Just the okay. distraction. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but that that initial thing, like, holy shit, this guy stopped Mjolnir. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then having that double cross immediately after, I I, I enjoyed that. Oh, oh I, just, I, I just liked like everybody, everybody getting super fucked. Like, like <laughs> that's a Django quote. I just the, really liked everybody getting super fucked. The, the uh, Ben Grimm having vegetation growing out of his holes was like horrifying. And, yeah. and well, the way that they that. had that happen, I thought was really, really well done. I mean, I, re- I really liked the, the Cree scroll Kotati stuff. And I liked in here that, well, the big spoiler for this issue that the Kotati was playing everybody else. Um, and the Avengers fell for it. I was a little disappointed Cap didn't figure, didn't start figuring it out, but Reed figured it out. That was the only thing with the art, a little aside. Boy, some artist, Reed with a beard, Ugh. and this artist particularly, when Reed stretches out his neck with his beard and his hair, he just looks like this weird living Q-tip thing, and it's creepy. <laughs> um, I, wish, I wish Reed would shave. I would give this one 6.5 also. Uh, this is the book that I wanted to mention that... What did Roman um, give it? Wait just a second. I think I'll give it a 7.5 because because of the Kree scroll, the blue area of the moon, what they do there. I love I love the blue area of the moon. It's one of my favorite Marvel locations. So. Okay, thanks. I'll, I didn't want to alter his score at all. I'll give it an even six. Uh, and this is, this is the book that I wanted to talk about, um, like crossovers and spinoffs and stuff, yeah. just because it feels built just for that. And Roman told me a little bit about the Fantastic Four Empire issue that he read. And, uh, you know, like when the, when the kids leave to take, what's their name, home. Um, that is followed up in the Fantastic Four yeah. Empire story. And it just, the, the structure of this story felt like every three panels, they were kind of winking at us and saying, do you want to know more, more about how this happened? read this other comic. You want to know more about this? Read this other comic. Well, and, and Dan Slott's writing Fantastic Four and he's writing Iron Man. So like key yeah. characters of that, they, you know, it is kind of built for, for spinoffs, I would think. And I don't know if that's a bad thing. Um, it just happens to be set in a cosmic thing that I don't love. Yeah, the Kotati double double crossed everybody, Roman. But they'd been, if I'm under, and like the part of it is that every issue, or every time I engage in this Empire story at all, they have to re-explain the history. And I've read that like four yeah. times now, <laughs> and I still can't remember it. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. like 
five word balloons trying to summarize the Kree scroll war and then what happened with the Kotati. And then like every time they re-explain it in a way that doesn't stick with me. And I just don't know if that's my brain. No, that's, and that's the thing I think you and I talked about last time I was on, on this podcast when we were talking about this is I dig that because I read those stories in the seventies and eighties, but I don't know why they would use that as your framing device and everything now for readers that have never read that crap because nobody's going to care. Right. I care, but you know, and, and, and Robbie Rodriguez is beca- actually, I didn't like him at first. He's becoming my favorite ghostwriter just because oh. he can like do, he, I mean, he, tr- he turns a, possesses a spaceship with, with the hellfire and alters it and he can do anything. It seems like. And there's that cool bit in Avengers where Moon Knight uses that power to turn a car yeah. into another one. Yeah. Okay. Those were a couple things we talked about. I like the Roman-liked empire. I was thinking this is probably what the Roman was digging. I didn't want to be a wet blank, blanket with it, but it's just not super dialed in for Jeff. A book that is super dialed in for Jeff is Strange Adventures, number three, by Tom King, Mitch Garrett, and Evan Shaner. This I liked very much. Issue number two, I was a little... I, I remember just sort of saying I, that I don't know how much I was in the mood for Tom king's like repetitive like super repetitive thing that week this one didn't lean as much on the repetitive nature of his storytelling which you know i also love as a staple of his work and i think he's one of the highest caliber writers doing things right now but this one like really just sort of the flow and way that this story is being told i feel like really set in the the dual narrative of it the story on earth and the story on what is it guar ran thank you um, Did you say Guar? I said Quar, but I don't know. <laughs> Quarry <laughs> is the name of that person in the book we just talked oh, about. Oh, and Koi, yeah, the celestial whatever. This book made me anxious. Yeah, <laughs> that's a hallmark of good art, buddy. To give yeah. you feelings, real, real big boy feelings with the yeah. little comic booky. Are you condescending to me? I don't know. Am I condescending to you? You are. Yeah. You I think find I'm you condescending. To be, yes. Yeah. I find I, that feels true to me. Yes. <laughs> I got nothing. You coward. <laughs> little, little man. Strange adventure. All right. I'll carry all the weight. <laughs> little, little man. I don't see, I don't see little man. Where is he? He's in a different room. I have the door closed. This one is really feeding in like this one. Are we brought, fighting? No, no. Okay. This one, this one brought in what I think is like probably going to be key elements of this story that hadn't really been present yet which is oh man i can see how it was conceived of and began its execution at a time where like trump is lying and saying things and you can't trust the media and the media Mm -hmm. is like everything is kind of twisted and represented in a different way and you you just can't really trust anything that was in full force in this issue and it, it it made me stressed out because Adam Strange seems like a good guy, but also I don't know who's using him or what. Seems yeah. like his wife is kind of using him. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's you're right. It's making me anxious because yeah, Adam Strange is and lately, especially over in uh, uh Bendis Superman, Super, yeah. Super, Superman. I mean, he's just been being a, a really good buddy, stand-up guy, and and like there's a scene in here where he just loses it. <laughs> yeah and it's violent and terrible and you're like oh my god is he uh there's a side to him i don't i don't like there's a side to alana i'm not sure about either i'm like what's she up to but also like 
So we have the Mishgarid's art, which takes place on Earth, and then Mr. Terrific investigation that's going on, and they're kind of worried that it seems like he's trying to uncover things that are unsavory, but it seems like Alana is offended that he's asking questions about their either dead or missing daughter, and she's really offended by that. So now she's kind of been, she's denouncing the entire investigation and trying to make it seem like they're being, a, their privacy invaded by it, but they, they wanted it. But then there's the stuff that was happening on Ran, and it's like he was captured and had to battle for his life, and he was being like a good guy, but then he ultimately had to kill this alien to stay alive and yeah you're right he snaps and you're like whoa i don't know if i like that guy but also it was in a life or death situation yeah and the, and the way he won it was really cool and resourceful i mean yeah he uses the fin on his helmet to take the guy out but it's that question of like yeah we could choose to paint somebody bad for doing a bad thing but everybody has done bad things especially when there's a context where you know like it's one thing to say murder is bad it's different to say that murder is bad if you had to do it to defend your life, I guess. And and to, by extension, save his wife and his daughter, right? Like what? the stakes aren't just him. A lot yeah. of times when when these superheroes are doing something, they're they're fighting for their own lives, but he's fighting for his family's life also, who he had to abandon in order to, you know, carry on the mission. Um, yeah. I, I I think that. I don't know. I, I, I don't want to justify murder, but I don't think that him killing this guy in a battle to save his own life and his family's life makes him an automatic bad guy. The thing that stood out that's to my me point. in this series, yeah, was that I don't know if anybody has said that the daughter is dead through this right. whole book. Like they all we say that know. they lost the daughter. Right. Right. And in context, it sounds like she's dead, but I don't think that anybody has actually said that she died at some point so yeah i'm curious think, how that's going to play out right i've been i've been thinking that's going to be you know th the main result of the investigation is finding out what actually is going on with the daughter because i don't think she's dead mm -hmm. right um, and i do think they're trying to hide something about her yeah right yeah, yeah and Maybe she's a killer yeah and the, and the fight and him killing that guy that's not what bothers me about it um what was surprising about it is like, well, the close up on Adam's face when he's doing it and everything. Mm -hmm. It's like, wow. I stared at that image for like 45 seconds. Yeah. Just like we, we haven't seen that Adam it. Strange before. Yeah. Uh, I think that this whole package is really, really nice. Um, the, I, I noticed a couple days ago when we were ringing up comics that the back cover for the A cover is different than the back cover for the B cover. And that's something you don't usually see on comics. Usually you'll get a different front cover and the back cover is all the same. Um, and, and then just like the glossiness of the covers and then the way that the book is put together, it's, it's in a three panel grid. And then every once in a while, they'll split one of those three up into three. But it's, it's a faster read than usual. And it's, a, it's, it's a, like a widescreen kind of format rather than the horizontal panels that we're kind of used to so I, I like that he's playing with his nine panel grid idea and the art from both artists is gorgeous i love that they're yeah. mixing them too so they're mm -hmm. not just keeping one artist per page you've got panels like panels jumping between artists i thought i think that's a really nice touch and it's it's just so brilliantly executed because it allows the book to come out quicker mm -hmm. and it the narrative 
is served by the fact that both of these the art is you know it, exclusive to the scenes that it you know the worlds that it is depicting so it allows the book to come out quicker and it works for the story and i just think it's beautiful and both of the artists are incredibly talented but their styles really lean to the tone of each era as well i'd give it an eight and a half easy i'd give it a nine and i think that i just wouldn't go higher because it like made me anxious to read in the way that i think that it was trying to everything gives me feelings boy little boy <laughs> yeah yeah i'll give i'll definitely give it a nine um you know i'm hoping adam is still the hero we we all know and love but both him and alana and alana i mean she's smoking and cursing and she's a femme fatale and it's like geez this is all very smoking and smoking very, very different yeah in the at the final end i have a question for you guys there's the shot of the newspaper or the newsman and he's showing the shot of batman talking to alana and she's mm-hmm. blowing smoke in his face is is the newscaster saying is he on batman's side or alana's side now i he's, ask you in the modern day in your modern day america is this how we treat our heroes and it's a shot of her blowing smoke in his face but also he's sort of talking about alana and adam's range being heroes that are being intimidated by the justice league he's he's against alana Okay. Because she's blowing smoke in his face. I thought that actually made me think about what, really I don't think that you really get to use that as often in media anymore. And I don't know if, if real people ever just blew cigarette smoke in somebody's face as a fuck you, but in movies, they did it all the time in the eighties and nineties. And I think it's beautiful. Roman, what were you going to say? Oh, just, I had, I had the exact opposite reading of that scene than Django did. I did too. I thought the newscaster is talking about this isn't how you treat our heroes, which is Adam Strange. Right. And the Justice League shouldn't be doing this. And according to our sources, he went to her to quote unquote talk. Though some people are saying it was to harass her. Yeah, I mean, even, and of course it's a takeoff of Fox News, but the the tagline on the bottom is harass Hmm. man. (laughs) Yeah. I think think you guys are right. But I think that it, I, I get, I think that that's kind of the point is that the media it doesn't matter what the fuck they're saying because they're all so showing the same image and they're all just saying opposing things. And whether you're watching, if you're watching Fox, you believe what they're saying. And if you're watching CNN, you believe what they're mm-hmm. saying. And both of them are spinning it in a totally, you know, biased way. There's no actual access to objective information anymore. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which ties into that Wally Wood quote that's right above right. the panels. Oh, Stressful. Good. It's a good. Yeah. Tom King is so good. He is so good. And, and, and there's a little fan service. Alana and Adam Strange's lawyers are the law offices of Gardner and Fox. And I yeah. wanted to remember, I, I thought that when I was like, those names are something. What is it? Gardner Fox was a sci-fi writer for the Pulps that then okay. went into comics and created, I think, I'm not sure. He might be the creator of Adam Strange. Okay. Yeah, I knew the name Gardner Fox hmm. somehow. It's not a Guy Gardner reference? Guy another Gardner spaceman? and James Fox, another spaceman. Guy Gardner and the Crimson Fox? That, that occurred. Yeah, I was like, does this say that maybe Guy Gardner just started a, a law a law office? <laughs> oh, I want okay. my lawyer all right. Roman, what'd you give it a score wise? Hey? Oh, I, I, um, I forget. I'm sorry. I just want to hold it in my heart. Uh, nine. Okay. Sap- okay, well, Roman, by your scale, you always have a 10 each week, and it's your favorite thing that you read each week. So then what it's... was your 10 this week? Christ, what was my 10? Um, Savage Dragon 250? That was a lot of fun, but. I had another muscly green 
character that gets my 10 for this week oh god okay okay are we saving that for buckshot i don't know if we'll have time but we'll we got it yeah um, we have time savage dragon number 250 i only read the eric larson portion of this and it was huge there there were a lot of other portions to it including a reprint of graphic fantasy which we have lovingly had in our store often yeah i only read oh go ahead Oh, I was just going to say, and yeah, we've had it in often, and I've never read it before because I was always you know, afraid to pop it open. <laughs> Me too. I realize I've never looked inside either. Well, so yeah, now I finally read it. <laughs> now you can read it in Savage Dragon number 250 by Eric Larson, uh, Farron Delgado, Nico Cool, a bunch of other people. <laughs> Kautzis, maybe? <laughs> uh, a, Django, did you read the whole thing or detail. just the Larson stuff? I read the Larson stuff and then I flipped through the rest of it and kind of spot read it. I did read the one page comics um, by Joe, Joe Keating and Alexander and Ryan Alexander Tanner. Um, I read Savage Dragon when it first came out, not in graphic fantasy, but from image. And I liked it cause it was violent soap opera, sexy garbage and uh, reading number 250. I can't say that it's, changed all that much except there's even better sexy and uh murderous children now has so his he's, art he's ratcheted it up has his art gotten like way looser and just I like I, I i have not read the original stuff but this is like it is it has like an almost like alt comics feel yeah his his art's a little bit looser and his colors are a lot better which he's he's not coloring it. Nikos Kovtisis is coloring it. Um, and I like the colors in here a lot more than I like the older colors. I think that the art is undeniably Eric Larson. Um, and watching him on social media, I really respect the way that he approaches his issues. Like he's he's got the this monthly comic book beat that he follows even when he does the huge issue he just takes on more work and still puts out a comic monthly pretty much every time um and his the, just just the ways that he challenges himself over and over i think are really interesting he's got an issue coming up soon that each page is based on an old comic strip so he's doing like peanuts and henry and you know little orphan annie and just to to you know own your own comic that does well enough to pay the bills and then also be able to just screw with it all the time like at some point he took a hard porno turn and lost For, some readers and gained some readers gained a lot and this whole issue is so porno like it's oh, just yeah. what why why not i guess why, why like, not and i thought it was I, and I thought it was pretty clever that the whole story is during quarantine and they're, and I didn't realize this, but I, apparently from the letters page, uh, Eric Larson writes Savage Dragon, like it's supposed to be in real time. So, mm -hmm. so this whole story during quarantine at home and when these villains crash in and they have to fight them and everything, the result is that then dragon's girlfriend um is talking to her mom on the phone and they're talking about well geez these villains crashed in i might have been exposed to covid we don't know now i gotta get tested and apparently dragon and their kids don't have to because they're whatever his powers are he's immune or something probably 
but I thought that was really clever that it's all set during this real life stuff and something none of us would have thought of is like oh these villains may have exposed me we beat them sure but they made, it made us all sick <laughs> yeah and that's and that's it, been kind of a cool part about that series for the whole like since the 90s it's it's been set in real time yeah see i, I didn't realize that or forgot that oh but but yeah that's part of why all the sex because everyone's just having his, sex well especially his girlfriend is like going stir crazy and so she even says it somewhere in here's you know she wants to have a lot of sex for something to do yeah and that's what a lot of people were talking about in the early pandemic stuff there's just shots where it's like let's call our friend and then just for like no reason at all she's just laying there with her nipples like clearly visible through her shirt and it's just <laughs> i don't have any problem with it but i just am totally confused by it it's, it's, a little it's just like he hadn't had sex in a month and a half and he was super horny well making this book so for whatever reason he ended up getting off a bunch well like i i really like eric larson as a person uh his interviews are awesome um he's a bellingham native we have copies of these things i love yeah. his like love of kirby and his ethos about comics uh i i have read you know probably 10 or 12 issues of savage dragon in the last like three years and it it just mystifies me every time this issue made me think you know i i want to I want to keep on reading Savage Dragon. This was a lot of fun. It was goofy. The sex stuff was goofy. There's well, I read that. There's what got me to read it was the sex issues from like two years ago. Yeah, there's stuff with that that cracked me up that I won't repeat here. But that one page, we always talk about innovative panels. I was like, wow, there's some real innovative paneling here. Part of the innovation is they're made of webs coming out of these two web women's. uh, Say it. Web spots. They're there's they have. (laughs) web spinning vaginas <laughs> what the yeah. hell <laughs> okay yeah it, this uh i i feel like we should be in jail for owning this and i love it <laughs> <laughs> um i i really actually did enjoy the cliffhanger which was the savage oh, yeah. dragon from graphic fantasy showing up yeah i thought yeah. that was pretty cool and i don't know like we haven't been reading this so i don't know if the savage dragon from issue number one has turned into that guy. Well, so this is like his son. Right. The current savage yeah. dragon has been his son for a, a while. Yeah. The guy that shows up at the end is his dad. Yeah. So yeah but but his dad in, in, in the olden days in the nineties had a Finn. big spiky fin. Yeah. And now he's right. just got like this ridge on his head, like the graphic right. fantasy one. So right. Right. which I'm makes me wonder what that on. means. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm curious to find more here too. And, what how that all happened did eric finally get a, a new copy of graphic fantasy number one that he hasn't had this whole time or what oh god he didn't <laughs> used to have a fin <laughs> oh uh, what do you guys mistake. what do you guys give yep. it you know, oh, yeah was, roman please continue yeah i read i read the whole thing the whole issue and oh my god there was a lot of fun stuff in here and a lot of crazy characters i forgot about with savage dragon <laughs> and including the second story i was like oh it's kill cat which the deadly duo kill cat was this goofy fuck up character that's always trying to take credit for everything he's like booster gold is more obnoxious and okay. thinks he's very trying to be suave and those cracked me up because his partner's just a goody two shoes it was it, it was a fun issue i'll I would, i'll give this a nine. Oh wow Roman gives it a nine because when Roman reads these, he can actually, like, if Roman had a superpower, it would be to actually hear the sound effects 
Of a web coming out of a hoo-hee? Of any comic book. Oh. So when somebody gets thrown through a window, Roman's surprised because it sounds like a window just broke in his head brain. Head I, give this, head. I give this a seven. I, I think it was... It's impressive that he's made it 250 issues reliably. And, uh, and, and despite being one of the most adult comics on the stands, like this should be on the top shelf of any comic store. And uh, I... I didn't think that he was still doing it like this. I love it. He wasn't. I well, like the, through last, them. the last five issues haven't been like this. I flipped through them every time since the super sexual ones to see if he's going back to that. And he like, he spent six or eight issues doing that and then just sort of stopped it. Huh? Oh. As, as far as I know, they keep talking about a sex tape in this one that shows up. So maybe that, and they referenced that was in the last several episodes or issues. So I would give it a 6.5 and I, I've, I agree with what Django said about like own a comic book and make enough money off of owning the company that puts it out to never have to worry about just chase, have fun with it. That's the dream of any artist is just to get Draw to all continue, the you continue doing whatever you want and never worry about how it is received. And that's what this book feels like. Yeah. Oh, and there is a story right in the center of this. That's a, a very good serious story. That's about the current America. And it's, it's oh, actually, is it that dude with like the baseball or the bass, the, the football America outfit? It's the like uh, pioneer 1770s America. Oh, Yankee, that art was gorgeous. Yeah, Yankee Rebel, who I never heard of, but it was a great little story. Well, now listen, I just want to take a little hop, skip, and a jump away from Savage Dragon and talk about his buddy Rob Liefeld's new joint, G.I. Joe Snake Eyes Dead Game IDW. You better fucking believe that your boy Jeff Figley <laughs> is reading the new Rob Liefeld G.I. Joe Snake Eyes book, having never seen the cartoon show G.I. Joe or know anything about any of the characters. <laughs> but, You're a better man than I am. I tried to read it. But Rob Liefeld said in an interview that he was like, I am writing a Rob Liefeld comic book and it's going to have Snake Eyes and I'm not trying to write a G.I. Joe comic. I'm writing a Rob Liefeld comic and I'm making G.I. Joe come to me. Wow. Does Snake Eyes talk? <laughs> No. Good, Although good. in one page, he does have talk. a speech balloon that is dot, dot, dot. And I thought, why that one? Why that <laughs> one? <laughs> it, um, okay, listen, I was born in 1989. So I think that that Savage Dragon cover to issue number one is awesome looking. And I like the 250 had a shout out to it. I think Todd McFarlane's art is cool. And you know what? Damn it, I think Rob Liefeld's art is pretty cool a lot of the time, too. And there are some shots in here where it is really cool. And I think a lot of fans of, like, this era of comic books, McFarlane and Lee and Liefeld, you know, I didn't ever read any of those X-Men comics I had inherited from a babysitter growing up. I just looked at the pictures over and over again and tried to make up what I thought was happening when Magneto was sucking the adamantium out of Wolverine's body. So this is not a super well-written comic, but it is. That's G.I. Joe. That was that. You just showed a picture of the inside, and I think that that is G.I. Joe. The G.I. Joe. Wow, the actual G.I. Joe was in there? No, I thought that there was a G.I. Joe my whole life growing up, but I realized that there's not, but then now it seems like there is. General Joseph Colton. What's pretty crazy is that the final page of this, I'm going to show the people I'm talking to, y'all have to look at a physical copy, but the final page has a you know a shot like a glory shot but it's got a dude standing there like that really famous captain america shot 
of like his <laughs> where, he's, where he's like standing in an angle and the angle doesn't work and he has these enormous man breasts and like it just the the angle and the depth of body just doesn't work yeah and he's got a shelf yeah and that it's like he's referencing that image in this image it's it that's a lot of liberties yeah it's a lot of liberties um i think I finished the first one and I was like, I'd read the second one. Really? Yeah. I like, it's cool looking. And, and I think that that is made to be the main point of it. There's just lots of cool shots of jumping and, you know, snake eyes. I don't know anything about him, but he looks cool and he's quiet and he'll kill the shit out of you with a sword. Maybe a gun, <laughs> maybe both. Snake eyes. <laughs> uh, you know, like just cool shots of like heads and, jumping and like all of the jumping shots there's no kinetic motion in it at all it's like he's just posing on the ground he's in the air jingo look at this shot that's him in the air but it's just him sitting there in the air like yeah like they say motion but they're not motion they're just shots and um yeah i don't know it's not terrible yeah i can't see that these little lines here into clearly Same indicate motion. motion, Jeff. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Snake Eyes, Dead Game, number one, Rob Liefeld. Take a, if you liked Rob Liefeld stuff back in the day, this is, I think, better than like Major X that he put out like a year and a half ago. And he, he puts out books occasionally. And I think they're, you know, I think this is one of the better ones he's done. And I, I feel like in an interview I listened to him on the Cartoons Kayfabe channel, he was talking about really trying to make this, you know, being trying to be aware of his brand and make sure that this was helping his brand. And I, I, I would give it a 6.5. And this is going to be four issues? Oh, it doesn't matter, Jangle. I'll read it until the end of time. It's that good. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, do you hear that? Do you smell that? Do you see is that? Is it what the rock is cooking? We got a buckshot round coming up. I don't have my phone in here. So I've got mine, and I'm going to start the buckshot timer. One minute, 30 seconds. Uh, rock, paper, scissors, Roman, go. Roman, go. Ah, uh, Immortal, Hulk number 30, <laughs> Immortal Hulk number 35. Are you, are you guys caught up on this? No. Oh, my God. Uh, so good. The biggest thing about this issue is Banner's in his psyche. And for the first time ever, he's accepted and actually apologized to um, the Devil Hulk. Because right now the Devil Hulk is stuck in his head. It's our old traditional Hulk, the Savage Hulk that's out in the world. Um, and Banner's actually, instead of fighting the Hulk now, his other personality, he's trying to, to talk to him and agree and come to some kind of understanding. He's trying to integrate his personalities. They don't use that word, but that's, what, that's what, where this is headed. And it's really interesting. Um, and this is my 10 for the week. There's some cool stuff with Betty Banner and, and some awful horror, horror, horror stuff with the Savage Hulk at the end. It's, this is still such a good series. Wow. Fantastic Four, Empire spinoff. It's the story of Franklin and Valeria headed, gone back to Earth with the Kree and the Scroll kids and what happens when they get home. And there's a big old battle and Wolverine shows up and he does something awful. And to be Was it good is the point? Did you like it? It was kind of fun. I would give it a six. Okay. I'd give it a six. Uh, Mortal Hulk was a ten. Guardians of the Galaxy. That's a fun series. They have some really cool art in here by 
Juan Cabal. Juan Cabal? It's written by Al Ewing. They follow up some Grant Morrison stuff with Marvel Django, Boy. the alarm's not going to go off if you have headphones in. Or are you charging? There was a tiny little chime there. It was very soft and soft. and. That was the alarm. Oh, it, it's, it oh. looks like you have your headphones in it, but it also the, the mic didn't really pick up the sound. Oh, the two different chords. Bing, 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 bing. Time's yeah. up, Roman. <laughs> Is Guardian still good? What's going on with that? It's it's still it's a lot of fun. The art is very cool. I mean, like at one point, the panels are separated by a snake because the the dragon of the moon, which is something from Moon Dragon's past, and so oh. the, the dragon is forming the panel borders. And they do That's a lot cool. of that kind of stuff on the different different pages. And it's fun, you know. Rockets in there. Um, there's a guy. What's his name? The Beaver dude that showed up. Oh, he's, Beaver he's Man. Uh, the lawyer. Yeah, the lawyer hired Blackjack O'Hare. That's still going on. He's trying to kill the Guardians. The Guardians are split in two teams. Huh. A lot of just goofy, cosmic, weird fun. When what does Ann Perkins them? show up? Ann Perkins? <laughs> what do you give those books, Roman? I hope Ann Perkins shows up. Me um, too. Gar- well, I already gave the other ones numbers. I think Guardians, I will give a seven. Jeff? Yeah. Go. I read Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 106 and was very disappointed that Sophie Campbell was no longer scripting it nor doing the art inside it because from 101 to 105, it was one of my favorite books that was coming out. She's still plotting it, but the scripting is clearly not as strong and the art is clearly not as strong. So I hope she comes back. I really got into Sophie Campbell through that book. Thanks, Brayden. Uh, Venom 26 was really good. Really good. The Maker the the who's making the gate to the infinite reeds the hickman stuff and and he makes a gate and he gets taken back to the ultimate universe and it's like burning and we haven't been back to there since secret wars and we said we weren't ever going to and there's this weird person that we don't know who it is in like a raggedy ass suit and he's like it looks like a busted ass punisher suit with like yellow venom paint on it and he's got a hobgoblin glider and it's like just a bunch of hodgepodge different marvel villain things in it and Bagley was doing the art and the arc before this, but now it is like Ian Coelho, I think is his name. And I really like Ibon Coelho. Really, really like this art. This was a really nice change of direction for that book. Avengers 34 was really good. Loving this Moon Knight Conchu, Fist of Conchu arc. That's been really good. And I have not yet read all of Transformers 84 Secrets and Lies number one. It's the one book I haven't read yet this week. I'm really excited to. Ryan, other Transformers fans, if you are interested in Transformers comics, if you like the old cartoon show, I think this is the closest you'll ever get. It's doing the thing where it like is protecting audio feedback. So it made the ding for a second, but then the mic is cutting the volume to protect the audio quality. And your charger was like in it. So I thought that maybe your white headphones were just externally plugged into a different one. No, no, no. All right. Well, you'll just have to fix that in post. Yeah, I'll fix it it in post because I'm not doing enough editing. Um, (laughs) Just a second. Just, yeah. Oh, did you happen to read the letters page in that? uh mutant turtles is she gonna i is she coming back did read some of it and the only person that addressed it was that someone was saying how much they love the art and they're like yeah we really love her art as well i remember in quarantine she made a tweet about like oh finishing 105 and then it'll be in a wrap um so uh, i i hope she comes back it's it's a real bummer because she is a really awesome art 
artist. Yeah. I just, I didn't realize how skilled at comic booking she was until I read the same series without her doing the scripting and the right, the art, because it's missing so much. And I just took all of it for granted because I only dropped into where she was on it. And just like her ability to put expressions and personalities into the faces of these turtles uh, for someone who hadn't read the last hundred issues and, and convey all of that stuff just artistically was incredible. But then even the voices and the subtle stuff, this, this one just felt kind of like an adult trying to sound like teens. Um, well, hopefully she's moving on to something cool. Well, and she's still plotting this. So like, hopefully she comes back or something. I, who knows? But it, just really grateful we got five issues with her. But I would give the Turtles book a seven. I'd give Avengers 34 a 7.5. And Venom 26 an 8.5. Django, go. Um, I'm going to just a second. Don't go oh anywhere yet. Gosh, I'm going to pull up on. a timer. Why Jeff does that. Oh, you got your own. Yeah, something else that happened in that um, Savage Dragon. There's a nice little turtles nod in there. Oh, really? Yeah. Is there? All right, Django. In, in yeah. the, get ready. One of, the other, one of the other stories. Go. Oh, I read I, Wolverine number one by Larry Hammer, Roland Boschi, and Andreas Mosa. Uh, I read it at the behest of uh, your friend and mine, Dino Cipino. Love him. Uh, he pointed out that uh, I, Wolverine 2020 is not Logan. It's the robot from the mid-20s issues of Larry Hama's ongoing Wolverine series from the uh, early 90s. And that was the Wolverine that I cut my teeth on. And so I read it. It's pretty good. The art is just okay. I think that it could be really good, but it's got that little girl in the pink dress who was a robot who was supposed to go find somebody and explode on them. And uh, it, was, it was kind of a fun throwback. I don't know if those characters have appeared in the main canon lately, but uh, I enjoyed that. I also read Engine Word, number one. Um, it's from Vault. It's got some really cool concepts in it. Um, the art is a-okay. I, you know, I'm, I'm never bummed that I read a vault comic. And if you're looking at a small week, I don't think you would go wrong picking out a vault comic that looks even mildly interesting to you. They're, they're generally really well done. Um, I read Amazing Spider-Man number 44. It is kind of a jumping on point and it's just fine. I liked Family Tree number seven more than I liked Amazing Spider-Man. And, uh, you know, Jeff Lemire. Are you guys hearing My that? Guy. No, we don't hear it. Okay. I'm hearing a really unpleasant beeping. Hmm. Oh, there oh. it is. Yeah. You hearing that? Yeah. Yeah, you just had to put your headphones up against the mic. <laughs> I'll stop it now. Um, I Thank would you, Google give, Timer. <laughs> I would give I Wolverine a seven. I would give Engine Word a seven and a half. I would give Amazing Spider-Man number 44 a seven and i would give family tree a seven and a half and i would give that series so far probably an eight or an eight and a half i what do you, so yeah roman please Django, what do you think of that what do you think of that villain the new villain in spider-man that's what i just wanted to talk about oh the, the I, new, I read the, the second half of it been around since the beginning that mm -hmm. guy yeah i think I it's mean, about fucking I mean, time um, i mean new was in the last year but he was in like number three of this series. He was, he was teased in like number him. one, but yeah, we haven't really, he's new to this series and they yeah. haven't really done anything with him yet. So yeah, we're still, still, still a new character. 
I'm curious to see what happens. I like him better when he's drawn by somebody else. I do too. That's a good point. I didn't yeah. actually even think about that, but I did realize I didn't like the way he looked as much in this issue versus other ones. Yeah, this is Kim Jacinto and Bruno Oliveira doing the art. And I didn't, I didn't love the art. Or Otley, rather. Um, you know, I, I don't think that three years ago, if you told me that I would have read more than half the issues of a 44-issue Spider-Man run, I would have believed you. Um, but this this series on the whole has been pretty solid. Do you think that we're going to know who that bad guy is, Roman or Django? Do you think it's going to be a person that's familiar with a new identity? Or do you think it's an entirely new thing? Oh, turns out it's the Hobgoblin. Hobgoblin. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I My problem with him is visually, every time he shows up, I think, oh, it's Carrion. Oh, no, it's not Carrion. Okay. Because <laughs> Carrion right. was another Spider-Man villain all wrapped in bandages that has a, a rot and decay theme. Huh. Oh. I don't know why they created a new one that's so similar to Carrion. Which is different from Kane, <laughs> who is sort of burned and bandaged and rotting. My who favorite knows? thing about this issue was actually just Peter talking to Mary Jane on the phone. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. The when Spencer has written relationship stuff, I think it's been really good. That's been my favorite stuff in that run. Guys, uh, the Maker has a, his own Venom symbiote, and it's from the Ultimate Universe. And because that one in Ultimate Spider-Man originally had been created synthetically by like Peter's dad and Eddie's dad in that universe, it has like a, a synthetic component. And as such, like the Maker has been digitally modifying it, so that is cool. Hmm. And the Maker, who is an evil Reed Richards with a Venom symbiote, to me is really fucking cool also i was really happy to see them back on the ultimate universe i was like cool i didn't think that that needed to die oh have we you're reached love the it. end of this trail have we is it take... time for us to plug things listen let's plug some things a uh, big thank you to the golden girls for sponsoring this episode of perfectly acceptable podcast we should have plugged it earlier uh, it's amazing how a show that's been in syndication that long still finds uh, revenue, ways to support smaller upstarts, and also just trying to get their name out there. So if you are into feisty, feisty older women, frankly, Betty White, I think is in that show, Dude, then you when, should check when, out the Golden Girls. When Blanche yeah. called me, you could have knocked me over with a feather. That's what, oh, man. And Roman, please take it away. That I, I, you know, I just want to, I just want to thank them for being a friend. Thank you for thank. <laughs> I thought that was a genuine thank you. I still do. And so yeah, you can catch Gan. Uh, you can check the Golden Girls out on any number of streaming services. Uh, after you're done with the Golden Girls, check out Batman in Quarantine, a podcast by Jeff and pals. Jeff and Co. <laughs> Jeff and Co. Uh, focusing on the Grant Morrison Batman run that spanned 15 years and 900 issues. They're doing one issue at a time, <laughs> four days a week. Roman recently committed Rapping. to basically being on all of them. Um, so for the last like two weeks, he's been on all of them, which is oh. great. Thank you for volunteering that much of your free time with no compensation. So it's Jeff and Roe. Jeff and Roe and Co. <laughs> and Je Je Jeff and Roe and Joe. And sometimes Joe. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's been a lot of fun. Batman in Quarantine. You should you should check it out. We got our website. You can buy comics there. We'll deliver them locally. We also have a secret podcast we're working on and another secret podcast that even Jeff didn't know about until just now. <laughs> Thank you for hanging out with us. This was episode 186 of a show. 
that's still coming out even the world is shifting beneath our feet i am jeff i am django robot <laughs> weird i i am roman um i'm just concerned about django's been taken over by some <laughs> blood red wall culture. yeah yeah it's